So many of us Christians, we pretend or lose sight of the fact of this reality, this teaching from Jesus Christ himself, that the pastors rule over the church. And I'll have to open that up. The immature will struggle with this. The mature will understand. And it is emphasized by the writer because it is taught by God throughout Scripture. It's not just found here. This is Cross Reference Radio with our pastor and teacher, Rick Gaston. Rick is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Mechanicsville. Pastor Rick is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. Please stay with us after today's message to hear more information about Cross Reference Radio, specifically how you can get a free copy of this teaching. But for now, here's Pastor Rick in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 with part one of his message, Closing Encouragements. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews 13, verse 7. We'll take 7 through 17. Verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate, Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and share For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief. For that would not be profitable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 7. These are uh, closing encouragements, incidentally. So before we read verse 7, for those of you who have not been following uh, our consideration of this Hebrew document, just a quick uh, overview of what's going on. The writer, who is very likely Paul the Apostle, is writing to Jewish Christians who are considering leaving the faith or mingling the faith with Judaism leaving the faith because of Judaism, wanting to go back to the temple since they had suffered such reproach and pressure from their countrymen, their family members. And so he writes this document to say, if you do, if you leave Christ, 
you are doomed. Your soul is doomed. Now, I know that doesn't match what many Bible teachers are saying. Well, once you're saved, you're always saved and things like that. That's not what this document preaches at all, not even close. I'm sorry, I, I disagree with even the biggest of the guns among human pastors. Uh, I'm not the only one, but we are in the minority. But you have to read it for what it says. It's better to take it as, as it's delivered than, than try to have it fit some theology. And so he's writing to them throughout this letter saying, you, you must stay with Christ. He gives them so many reasons. Now, he gave them in, the, in our last consideration, chapter 13 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 6, critical points of the faith, continue in love, marriage is sacred and undefiled. In this next session, uh, he uh, has closing encouragements for them. And uh, it, it might serve as uh, an awakening for some Christians who've never come into this passage and considered what it has to say. So let's now look at verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So vital is this first clause that it is repeated three times in this 13th chapter. And that clause is those who rule over you. And you may have another translation, and maybe it doesn't use the word rule. It might substitute appropriately those who lead or those who are chief among it has to do with the pastors, and the context makes it clear. These are those that are ministering the word of God. And it is unfortunate that so many of us Christians, we pretend or lose sight of the fact of this reality, this teaching from Jesus Christ himself, that the pastors rule over the church. And I'll have to open that up. The immature will struggle with this. The mature will understand. And it is emphasized by the writer because it is taught by God throughout Scripture. It's not just found here. In the Old Testament, we have it illustrated, very hard lessons. Earlier, the pastor, even uh, the, the writer of Hebrews mentioned the rod of Aaron that budded. It's because Aaron was given the assignment of ruling over the priesthood. He was the high priest under, of course, Yahweh. And so I'm emphasizing it, not because I'm a pastor, but because God emphasizes this, as I mentioned, three times in one chapter. Whenever that happens, when God repeats something in close proximity, uh, it is uh, an emphasis. When he does it three times, it is a great emphasis. It's needed. The shepherd's rod. It is an emblem of his protection from wolves, from those who would harm the flock, from predators. But it is also accompanied by, uh, well, the, it also includes the shepherd's rod and staff. Those are also emblems of correction for believers. In the church now, not in your lives, not outside these walls. We don't go to your house and tell you how you have to arrange your furniture, what job you can have and who you can marry. Though if you want to marry an unbeliever, we, we will, of course, raise up the word against that. In love and kindness, of course, but firmly. And so Paul, writing to the Corinthians, who were the cause of so much grief for him, 
He writes to them in the first Corinthian letter. He says, what do you want? First Corinthians 4.21. Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? You see, he's a shepherd. He's a pastor. And he says, when I come back to Corinth, if you don't clean your act up, and I've, he's lists in the document, in, in the letter, he lists what needs to be straightened out amongst them. The in bickering, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of all of this junk. And he says, when I get there, do you want me to take my belt off? Do you want me to enforce the word of God spiritually? Or will you examine yourselves, clean this up, and then I can come and be gentle and do the work that a pastor loves to do. The choice was theirs. And Christians, especially today, looking at what we know from history in the church, and even in the early church, I should add, the apostolic fathers, those first leaders of the church after the apostles had died, they emphasized this very point. Ignatius, in writing to the Ephesians, he emphasized, he said, treat the pastors as though they were Christ. I'll expand on that. What would happen if you treated every believer as though they were Christ? We think twice about how we, we behave, would we not? The Christians do tend to deny shepherds their rod of correction, rendering them non-shepherds. If he doesn't have a rod, he's not a shepherd. He's a guy walking out in front of the sheep. And so we have to stay on this just a little bit. I'll try not to overdo it. But again, if the scripture emphasizes it, we cannot sweep past it because it might be unpleasant for some. Many, many good-natured Christians are good-natured so long as they get their way. Never mind what scripture says, so long as it fits their template. That is called carnality in the scripture because they become quite ill-willed. When the shepherds exercise authority that has been given them to Christ in the house of the Lord and rule, the template is also found in Moses. It is found in King David and the kings. It is found in the apostle Paul and Peter and John. Where do we hear Paul putting anything to a vote? You don't. Because he speaks what the Lord has told him. God doesn't put that to a vote. Now, there are some things you can kind of vote on, you know, uh, which brand of half and half you're going to use in the cafe. <laughs> will it be the generic one or will it be some name brand? So we have to remind ourselves at this point, in this time in our history, it's not the militant homosexuals. It's not insane liberalism. It's not uh, Islam. Christians are killing churches. Christians are doing it. The way they do it, well, the result is the church still continues to call itself a church. It just doesn't operate as one anymore. They continue to gather and sing songs and to the Lord. But they've walked away from obedience to the Holy Spirit. And they abandon such teachings as this, and why, I don't know, because they're not better off for it. We have, I think, in this church, many Christians who abide by these principles. And I think all of us are better off for it because it comes from God. Now, if I was the author of this verse, then you would have good reason to reject it. But I am not. And so we have to face it 
There is legitimate use of authority even in the lives of Christians because Christians tend to think, we tend to think, I'm saved, Jesus loved me, he died for me, therefore get out of my face. That's not Christianity. 1 Timothy chapter 5, he writes to the pastor, he says, let the elders who rule, you see, there it is again. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and and doctrine. The teaching of the word. Take it away from the church and what are you left with? A hollow shell, the husk. So let's reverse this verse. Ah, look at that, sounded weird. Forget those who lead you who have spoken the word of God to you. Don't follow their faith. Ignore the outcome of their conduct. We see that happen. We see pastors court in immoral sin and an entire congregation sweep it aside because he's popular. He's cuddly. I'm not that. I I don't think I've been cuddly since I was in a blanket. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. I know that there are people in this church that pray for me because I'm the pastor and they pray daily and they tell me and I greatly appreciate it. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher of England, England many years ago, was asked why, why he was so successful in his ministry. And his answer is a standard answer. My people pray for me. Take that away. And the spiritual elements that make things work for the people of God begin to fail. And so clearly... Commanded in Scripture, and clearly violated in many church buildings. He says also here in verse 7, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Should it be any other way? If you have a pastor that stumbles into immoral sin, he is disqualified from pastoring. His soul may still be saved, but he is disqualified from pastoring. If he has not stumbled and he is adhering to the word, then you have evidence in your midst of the hand of God working in the flock. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now this is, it appears almost random. He says, in the beginning, consider those, remember those who rule over you. And then he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is a transition into what he is about to say, but it does seem random. Here's how I think it came to be. I think as he was writing these things, mindful of what he had experienced as a seasoned shepherd of the flock, where he says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct, because there were false teachers rising up even then, And then he has this outburst of praise and adoration built on awe and hope. He burst out, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's solid. What I'm telling you is is not something that's shaky or fickle or a fad. It's permanent. 
There's nothing about him that needs to change. There's no way to improve Jesus Christ. He doesn't need it. And so it comes out in his writing as he's writing this, because if you've ever used a pen in writing in your devotional time or preparation for anything, you should have experienced moments where the Spirit of God comes upon you and you, blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything sort of converges on you at that moment at spiritual That's what happened to him, I believe. Whether or not it happened at that verse, it happened in his life time and time again. You cannot produce such a document as Hebrews and not be the recipient of wave after wave after wave of experiences in the Lord. Paul said, a messenger from Satan has been given to me to buffet me, to attack me, to stabilize me, I'm paraphrasing now, because of the many revelations Because God has spoken to me so many times, so many ways, lest it go to my head. I have my struggles too. It keeps me in check. And so this outburst over church rulers, don't be afraid of that. It does not mean that they are tyrannical or despots or totalitarians or anything like that. It means that they have total authority. When it comes, somebody at some point has got to be able to have the ability to say, this is the way we are going, or this is not. This is also, this being the same, this immutability of God, it is an exclusive attribute of God. I mean, there are attributes that God has that we share in to some degree, the ability to love, for example. But this, to be unchanging, only an uncreated being possesses this. No moods, steady, always consistent. We never have to wonder if God is in the mood to hear our prayers, if he is in the mood to love us. He does not change. He is perfect. Verse 9 Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Well, this do not be carried about with various strange doctrines, heresies, man-made teachings that contradict, that contradict what has been established in the Scripture, strange ideas Things that don't belong because they're false and they are harmful at the same time. Now, if you go home or if you just go out to your car after service and there's an uninvited stranger in your car when you get there, you know instantly you got a problem. Something's not right. Especially if you go home, how did he get in? What's his motive? It's the same with false doctrine. It's strange. It doesn't belong there. It's not been invited. It comes in out of line. Now, if you want to appease it, you go right ahead into heresy and do that. But if you want to serve the Lord, you will chase it out. There has always been those within the faith that call upon Christ who get tossed to and fro by anything that excites them emotionally, that they get it, ooh, I like that. Well, whether you like it or not, is not paramount. That's secondary. What is primary, is it from God? Is it true? 
Because the false teachings that Satan injects into churches are meant to seduce. They're meant to appeal. They are fashioned in such a way as you say, ooh, that glitters. But it's not gold. When he wrote to the Ephesians, he said that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So Satan comes up with some new thing that the world just adores and the, and the Christians embrace it. We love what they're doing. Let's do it too. That's seduction. You say that hurts hearing it. Well, if you're guilty, it will hurt. But that's where the healing begins. But if you harden up, how dare you preach the word? How dare you make that application? Your goose is cooked. So he says these things because he knows better. He knows what it's all about. When he says the pastors are watching over your soul, it's not, it's not just I'm going to include this because it just sounds good. James will come along and, and remember, start getting your heads ready for James. If, if we could say it like this, Hebrews is the good cop. James is the bad one. James is going to rip us all open. He, is, he gives no mercy to carnal ways. He keeps the spirit in front of us. When Jesus said, be perfect for your father in heaven is perfect, James behaves like that's the only thing he heard. It's going to be good for all of us. Well, back to this. Where he says, don't be carried about with various, there are many of them, strange doctrines. What is the alternative to sound doctrine? Harmful doctrine. It's not just bad. You know, you can, you can bite into a piece of fruit and say, that's bad. And it not be harmful. But you can poison. Poison is harmful. And it is bad for you. Jude in his little letter that is, that is a gigantic document, even in the early church when the apostles were still there, he says, certain men crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, these guys have crept in unnoticed. Somebody was not discerning. Somebody thought everything is okay so long as Jesus' name is put on it. They're, they are wrong. We are made strong by hearing what is right, not by hearing what is wrong. You know, when the writer says, bad company corrupts morals, He's saying spiritual scrubs will make you a scrub. Spiritual rejectors of Christ will make you reject the truths of Christ. You start settling for lesser things, for coarse things, for things that have no place on the table of Christ. Things that you'd never do or say in front of him, you begin to do and say. And dismiss it under the guise of grace. So, Second Timothy, Paul writing to the pastor says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but love and power, power to do right, to serve Christ and continue with him. And he adds this, and a sound mind. He's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And how many Christians behave as though they've lost their mind? So we are on guard against these things. He continues in verse 9, For it is good that the heart be established by grace. Grace is undeserved kindness from God to you, and it is often undeserved kindness from you to others. That's grace. Obedience is not legalism. Enforcement of God's commandments is not legalism. Legalism is the enforcement of things that God has not commanded. Grace is obedience in the form of Christ's likeness, which is born out of love for Him. You've been listening to Cross Reference Radio, the daily radio ministry of Pastor Rick Gaston of Calvary Chapel in Mechanicsville, Virginia. As we mentioned at the beginning of today's broadcast, today's teaching is available free of charge at our website. Simply log on to crossreferenceradio.com. That's crossreferenceradio.com. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to the Cross Reference Radio podcast. Subscribing ensures that you stay current with all the latest teachings from Pastor Rick. You can subscribe at crossreferenceradio.com or simply search for Cross Reference Radio in your favorite podcast app. Tune in next time as Pastor Rick continues teaching through the book of Hebrews right here on Cross Reference Radio. Thank you.